Greetings and welcome. My name is James White. We've been taking the time to look into the history of the Bible to understand why Christians believe that it's inspired, why Christians believe that it has been accurately preserved for us down through history so that we can trust that what we read today is what was originally written by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ or by the prophets of old. And in that study, we've had to also take a look at some other books, books that are not found in the Bible, books written by people who wanted to present a different view of Jesus. Some were ancient works, such as those written by the Gnostics in the second and third centuries, still trying to change the message of Jesus and the religion and faith of Jesus, but doing so in an ancient context within a few centuries of the original. But not everyone uh, who's tried to change the message of Jesus lived in the ancient world. In our last study, we began looking at another book uh, that comes really from the more modern period of time. It is not an ancient work at all. Uh, it is a fraud. It is a, a false work called the Gospel of Barnabas. And it pretends to have been written by the Apostle Barnabas, well known to us from the Acts of the Apostles in the Scriptures themselves. But we have already seen a number of reasons to question this gospel, we saw that it has absolutely no ancient pedigree at all. It has no evidence whatsoever of its existence in the ancient world. And we contrasted that with the Acts of the Apostles because it is the Acts that tell us the most about Barnabas. It is the Acts of the Apostles that contradict the gospel of Barnabas over and over and over again. And we know that that book comes from the first century. We know that that book was written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of the events of Jesus' ministry. And we have seen that there are numerous contradictions between the Acts of the Apostles and this Gospel of Barnabas, which has absolutely no historical foundation upon which to stand. We, we saw the, the one ancient reference to a Gospel of Barnabas found in Galatius' decree from the end of the 5th century. But we also saw that even with that, we have no reason to believe that what Galatius was referring to, or whoever created his list, had anything to do with the Gospel of Barnabas that we're examining now. And so we continue to look at the large number of errors that are actually found in the Gospel of Barnabas that demonstrate that it cannot be trusted either as a historical document and that demonstrate that its author simply didn't know enough about the subject to really be able to give a meaningful, fraudulent presentation of them. In other words, he gives telltale signs that he is writing at a much later time, He's writing in a different language. He's writing in a different culture. And we can detect these things. That's how all uh, fraudulent documents have been detected down through history. One of the most amazing things that we read uh, is that the, in the Gospel of Barnabas, Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus are, uh, have, have political authority. They're, they're like overlords of two towns, Magdala and Bethany. Now, that might also indicate a confusion on the author's part as to which Mary's being discussed here, which is very common for people who don't know the Bible very well. But, but the idea that there were people who, who ruled over these little villages was very common in medieval Europe. You had knights and lords and the feudal system, and all of that would make perfect sense to someone living at that time. And you need to remember something about how people thought during the medieval period in Europe. There are many people who are not aware of this. During the medieval period in Europe, the people actually believed 
that the ancient people had lived as they lived. They suffered from anachronism. If you look, for example, at the artwork of many of the people who lived during the medieval period, they will dress even the biblical characters in the very same kind of style and dress that they themselves were wearing in their day. So that's why you'll see, you'll see uh, pictures of King David riding a horse in armor because they really did think that things had always been the same. Most people did. There were some who recognized there had been change, but most people thought that what they were experiencing is what people had always experienced. They dressed like we do. They acted like we do. So that anachronism is seen in the author of the Gospel of Barnabas because he actually makes the assertion that there was a feudal system, in essence, in existence so that Mary and Martha can, and, and Lazarus can be overlords over these little villages. They don't seem to realize that the only people who were overlords over those villages in those days were called the Roman soldiers. And they would not have uh, really liked anyone taking their particular place. There are geographical errors in the Gospel of Barnabas. This is the most famous one. It says, Having arrived at the city of Nazareth, the seamen spread through the city all that Jesus had wrought. Then it goes on to talk about them going from Nazareth up to Capernaum. There's a little bit of a problem. Uh, clearly, the author thinks that Nazareth is a port town on the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is up in the hills. It has no bodies of water near it. It is Capernaum that is the port town. So here you have the idea that, that they entered into Nazareth from the water and then went inland from Nazareth to Capernaum. That is a physical impossibility. Now, even if someone had traveled through uh, Israel in the 14, 1500s, they would not have been able to know this because they would not have been able to have identified Nazareth and Capernaum because they were very small cities and had been destroyed by uh, Roman soldiers and had, had suffered all the ravages of time. But we know this today through archaeological discoveries, and we recognize that the author of the Gospel of Barnabas simply did not know the area, which Barnabas would have if he had been in those areas as the Gospel of Barnabas claims that he was. Then we have this statement from the Gospel of Barnabas. Jesus confessed and said the truth, I am not the Messiah. I am indeed sent to the house of Israel as a prophet of salvation, but after me shall come the Messiah. The irony is that the Gospel of Barnabas not only shows tremendous ignorance of the biblical text, but it shows even more ignorance of religious texts written after the time of the Bible, specifically in this case, it shows tremendous ignorance of the Quran. For example, the Gospel of Barnabas over and over again tries to say that Jesus was not the Messiah, that there is a Messiah to come. And yet even the Quran refers to Jesus as the Messiah. And yet the Gospel of Barnabas shows tremendous ignorance about this. We mentioned the fact that not only does it show ignorance of the biblical prophecies about the Messiah and the word Christ, but here it shows even ignorance about the Islamic faith as well. The Gospel of Barnabas was not written by someone who accurately represented basically anything, whether it was Christianity or Islam or history itself. Here was someone who was a deceiver, someone who had many errors in their thinking. Uh, 
the gospel of Barnabas was obviously meant to be used in controversy in the day in which it was published and the day in which it appeared. But the controversies that it addresses didn't exist back in the days of Barnabas. They only exist after the rise of Islam and then the conflict that exists when Muslims and Christians get together and they talk about their faith together. How would Barnabas have known what the controversies would be? Barnabas allegedly lived 600 years before the rise of Islam. How could he know what the controversies would be? He couldn't, but of course, someone writing much later could. Absolutely amazing to any historian is the fact that the Gospel of Barnabas, and again, remember, the Gospel of Barnabas is huge in comparison to the canonical Gospels. The number of words, just the, the amount of literature is very, very large. And the, the larger you make your book, the more opportunities you're giving for people to examine whether you really know what you're writing about or not. In the Gospel of Barnabas, he might have been able to get away with writing something like this if he had kept it very short, very succinct. But since it is huge, the Gospel attempts to address all sorts of issues that the canonical Gospels only mention in passing. And that's one of the telltale signs of a later fraud, is you take your source materials, and we should point out, the Gospel of Barnabas knows all about the four Gospels. The Gospel of Barnabas even knows about Paul's epistles. How can that be if not only Paul is a deceiver, but Barnabas is writing this during the time when Paul would be writing his epistles? Was Barnabas reading the epistles that Paul was writing, even though he calls him a deceiver? The, the fact that this book knows all of the Gospels, and some scholars would put the Gospel of John after any period of time that, that Barnabas would have been alive, how can the Gospel of Barnabas know about books that would be written at a later time? Unless it, of course, is a historical fraud, which it most assuredly is. But it not only does it know all about the Old Testament, which at least would make sense, Barnabas would have known about that, though it makes errors even in the things it says about the Old Testament. But then it knows about the New Testament, and though the writer obviously knew he could not quote directly, there is really clear evidence, and if we had the time to do so, we could walk through some of these citations. There is very clear evidence that the writer of the Gospel of Barnabas also knew, at least having heard it read, the Quran. He makes references to specific things from the Quran. Now, obviously, that doesn't come about. Uh, Muhammad dies in 632. That's a long period of time later. If he knows those things, once again, he's writing after the time of Muhammad. And that makes it a historical fraud. And so you're trying to write this big, huge work. You're trying to place it back into a historical context that you don't really know a lot about. You don't really know a lot about the geographical issues as well. And as a result, you get into problems. One of the most amazing problems was that the Gospel of Barnabas actually presents the idea that Pilate, Herod, and Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, uh, went to great pains uh, to, to get together, and they, they, they basically had friendship with one another. These people hated one another historically. And if you knew where they were coming from and the, the political realities, 
you would recognize this. You see, the, the Gospel of Barnabas makes up this tremendous story. It says that the Romans so stirred up the Jews um, about the real nature of Jesus. Now, this is, this is truly amazing that, that it makes this kind, of, this kind of argument because, again, it's taking later controversies and reading them back into the first century, though there is not any historical evidence that ever took place, that, that it says all Judea was up in arms and that, in fact, 600,000 armed men gathered for battle. 600,000. Now, historically, 600,000 armed Jews could have driven the Romans out easily because the entire Roman army wasn't even close to that size. The Romans wouldn't allow Jews to create swords. So how they all of a sudden managed to get all this weaponry, nobody knows. But allegedly, these 600,000 get together. And then the weirdest thing is, instead of having 300,000 on one side and 300,000 on the other side, they, they, they square off on three sides, 200,000 each. They have a three-pointed battle. And allegedly, Pilate, Herod, and Caiaphas try to get together to stop this carnage, when in reality, they would have sat back and said, hey, guys, go at it, uh, because we're the ones you're going to be driving out, Pilate and Herod anyways. Uh, you're going to be driving out militarily anyways. So there's no evidence of such, of such military activity. Uh, it's very clear that if that kind of military force had existed, at the time, the Romans only had a small garrison in the area. We see this later when Titus and the Roman legions have to come in in AD 70 to put down the Jewish rebellion. But even then, Titus doesn't bring anywhere near that size of an army. If there was that size of an army, they would have taken over the entire, that entire portion of the Roman Empire. But there is no evidence whatsoever that anything like that ever took place let alone that Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas would have gotten together and had this uh, argument. Then we have in the Gospel of Barnabas these words. The virgin, Virgin Mary, was surrounded by a light exceedingly bright and brought forth her son without pain. Now that is a medieval belief about the subject of the birth of Jesus. And it actually came from the Gnostics in the second century. It was a medieval belief that became very popular amongst Christians, but it came from the Gnostics in the second century, which means it came after the time of Barnabas. There is nothing in the Bible that even begins to suggest such a thing. And in fact, it is contradictory to the plain teachings of Scripture as well. We're also told that Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea at the time of the birth of Jesus. That would mean that he was governor for over 30 years, almost 35 years. No one was governor in Judea for that long. Anybody who managed to do that for four or five or six years in a row was pretty amazing. And Pilate certainly was not governor of Judea at the time of history. And so we see all of these kinds of, of, of gross errors found in the text of the Gospel of Barnabas. And so once again, I want to step back and ask ourselves the question, from the Christian viewpoint, you have the Acts of the Apostles. You have the Acts telling us that Barnabas is the associate of Paul, that Barnabas and Paul together suffer many things together, and the main thing is they preach the same message about who Jesus is and what he did. That historical source 
has all sorts of evidence demonstrating that it comes from the first century. We have all sorts of people in the second century quoting it. We have all sorts of accurate information given to us by Luke about who was ruling in a certain area at a certain time and what his title was. We have all of this evidence that the Acts of the Apostles is a first century document giving us an accurate accounting of the spread of the Christian church. And it is that document that tells us that Barnabas was the brother of the Apostle Paul. They suffered things together. They both preached that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died upon Calvary's cross, and on the third day he rose again, and that if anyone desires to have forgiveness of their sins and eternal life, that the only way they can have that is through faith in Jesus Christ, that he is a sufficient Savior. That is what Paul and Barnabas both preached in the only ancient first century documents that have any reason to be called accurate today. But then contrast that with the Gospel of Barnabas. No reason whatsoever to believe that this Gospel was written in the first century. Its sheer size alone would have been difficult to do given the persecution of the church. It seems to know nothing about the political realities of Israel at the time under Roman rule. It seems to know nothing about the political relationships of the leaders. It seeks to attempt to create all sorts of pictures of the ancient world that actually are much more reflective of the medieval world. It gives all sorts of signs that it comes from a medieval concept. It comes from Europe. It gives no references whatsoever that would cause any unbiased scholar to believe that its original language was Greek or even Latin or Aramaic or any of the ancient tongues that would have a meaningful claim to have been used by someone such as Barnabas. It gives us no reason. And when we go back through history, do we find anything in the first century? No. Second century? No. Third century? No. Fourth century? No. All these periods of time where Christianity was under persecution. And if such a book had existed at that time, it would have been used by the enemies of the faith to discredit that faith, but it was not. And so finally, we get to the 5th and 6th centuries, and we have a vague reference to a gospel of Barnabas. We already had an epistle of Barnabas. We had an Acts of Barnabas. Is that what was being referred to? We don't know, but no citations given to it whatsoever. No knowledge of where it's coming from or what it's referred to. Instead, the vast majority of scholarship in looking at the theology of the Gospel of Barnabas. We didn't go into, for example, the contradictions uh, between the Gospel of Barnabas and the Quran, for example, where, where the Gospel of Barnabas tries to present a different view of the will of man, uh, obviously presents a different view of Jesus as the Messiah. The writer of the Gospel of Barnabas was ignorant of many of the sources, religious sources, that preceded him, and he misrepresents them. So that is why the vast majority of unbiased scholarship today looks at this text, and when they even examine the paper upon which, remember, there's only one manuscript. Only one manuscript exists in Italian, and when they look at that particular type of paper and they compare it with other documents found in the same library, they're actually able to, to see 
that it looks the most like documents that were copied around the year 1580. 1580, long, long after the days of Barnabas. So there is every reason to believe from an unbiased perspective, without even having to enter into the religious argumentation, that the gospel of Barnabas is a pious fraud. That is, it is written by a religious person who probably, and there are some names that have been named through history as who probably was the author of this work, but a religious person who, upon converting from one faith to another, thought that he would write something that would present his new faith, and in the process, produced something that in reality demonstrated that it was he who did not know a lot about either his former faith or his new faith. That's something that's very common with converts. They become very zealous in that early period of time, and in their zeal, they frequently tend to misunderstand not only what they've come from, but what they've entered into as well. And that seems to be the issue with the Gospel of Barnabas. That's why we have all the historical errors, the theological errors, the misunderstandings of all sorts of religious writings, not just the Old and New Testament, and all of the anachronisms. You see, this is not the first pious fraud that has existed in history. There have been others that had tremendous impact theologically and ecclesiastically. For example, there was a, a fraud called the Donation of Constantine, wherein allegedly the Emperor Constantine gave uh, Vatican City, in essence, uh, to the church. And this became extremely important in founding later papal claims to authority. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians thought that this was a real document. It was not until the mid-1400s into the 15, early 1500s, mid-1500s, when people began examining these things, they realized things had changed over time. They got that anachronism out of their mindset, and they started critically examining these documents and discovered that the donation of Constantine was a pious fraud. Pious meaning religious in nature, possibly even motivated by good religious motivations, but still a falsehood, a fraud. Now, what should truth-believing people today think about the Gospel of Barnabas? We need to recognize that any truth-believing person must reject the Gospel of Barnabas as a meaningful historical source. We need to recognize its true nature and recognizing that it had a purpose at one time and that that purpose was to try to change history. That purpose was, try, was to try to present a new viewpoint of Jesus that really did not have any historical validity to it. We need to honor the truth. Christians, for example, need to be very careful to apply the same standards to our beliefs that we apply to anyone else because we need to honor the truth because God is truth. We honor Him when we honor the truth. But this should be the case of all people. And no one should ever utilize sources that are so clearly fraudulent in their origination as if they have significant theological meaning. So if you encounter anyone who presents the gospel of Barnabas to you with grace and with kindness, please point out to them that unbiased scholarship as a whole has rejected the gospel of Barnabas as having any historical meaning, and it certainly has no historical connection 
to the Apostle Barnabas itself. It is a fictional story and should be treated as it is fiction, not as a gospel account. Thank you.